Good morning, Paramount Church. I realized that I did not contextualize very well when I chose my clothing today. <clears throat> and so maize and blue, for whatever reason, was the necessary clothing I felt uh, for, for preaching this morning. Can Amy remind me of the score of the last Michigan-Ohio State? I don't remember. You don't remember? <laughs> I do, <laughs> because it has happened once in the last 14 years, so... These are things that Michigan fans, you know, have to remember. It is really good to be with you. It's been a few years, and I'm sorry that I haven't come and visited earlier, but I've been praying along with you for the building. There's a lot of prayers and conversations we had, and the Lord providing you a permanent space in this community, which is, I think, very important. And I'm sure you'll quickly grow out of it, but we're grateful for God's provision and just to see new faces and just hearing good things about what God is doing. Thank you for serving the community. Thank you for loving your neighbors. Thank you for getting at the work of the gospel. Thank you for planting churches. Uh, you know, for me, uh, multiplying churches is so essential. And uh, that's why I started the Pillar Network. And the fact that now you have multiplied yourself and I'm sure you will do it again you just don't realize the impact you're making uh, on 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 not just your community but on God's kingdom by doing that when Paramount Church was planted nine and a half years ago um, Pillar Network was just a handful of churches we are now 280 churches spread all over the world and God continues to bless you're a big part of that I just want you to know that you have got friends and like-minded churches now spread out just all over the place. And some of you are going to Turkey, meeting some of our friends there. And so thank you for the gospel work that's taking place. I love the summer series about God's word. Second Timothy 2 is where we'll be. I wanted to ask you as to when was the last time you mishandled something. I obviously mishandled my clothing today. When was the last time you mishandled something? Or when was the last time you experienced somebody or something being mishandled to you? Have you ever received a packet that came in the mail and it had been mishandled? Maybe it even had fragile written on it, but obviously someone didn't care about that. And inside there were nothing but broken pieces. Or, or maybe if, if you travel like me, I travel a lot. I, I try to carry on my luggage everywhere I go because I know that people are not going to handle that the way I handle it. And if you ever want to do a cool video, watch on what happens to your luggage when you check your luggage bag. And you talk about mishandling things that are important. We, we mishandle things all of the time. And, and sometimes they can be small or sometimes they can be devastating when, when things are mishandled. You, you may have mishandled a relationship in the past. You, you may have mishandled your parenting at times. You may have mishandled something at work and that caused some negative consequences. I, I, Kay and I live in North Carolina and, and at times... You know, the weather can just be pretty dramatic, especially around hurricane season. I remember a few years back when there was talk about maybe hurricanes coming our way. We didn't know, and turning on the news, and the meteorologist was like, everything's fine, don't worry. And then just within half an hour, an hour, there's this emergency, you know, like newscasts, and, and the, the meteorologist gets back on and goes, up. Oh, I was wrong. 
hide. You know, it's basically his word. And, 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 and just all of a sudden, it was devastating, right? And, and, and so, you know, when you have responsibility to handle something appropriately and, and, and you mishandle that, there can be some real severe consequences. Well, if you've done that in the past, and I'm sure there has been times, like me, you've mishandled things. Let me ask you a more important question. When's the last time you mishandled the gospel? When was the last time you mishandled the gospel? That's a tough question. And I'm guessing there has been a time recently where maybe you either said something that you think back and go, man, that just was not according to the gospel. Or maybe you failed to speak when you should have. And you realize I've just mishandled the gospel. Here's my encouragement today. As we're thinking about the word and loving God's word and why do we do that, I want to suggest to you this morning that as, as the church, we are all approved by Christ to accurately and appropriately care for his gospel. Let me say that again, because this is not just for your pastors. This is for every member of this church. You've been approved by Christ. And you've been approved by Christ to accurately handle God's word and then appropriately care for God's word. So as we look at Paul's letter to to Timothy, there's a couple of points I want to share, a couple of truths I want to share with you this morning. The first is that, that we are all approved by Christ to handle his gospel and then live it out. Now, I love this letter. This is Paul's last letter that he wrote. In many ways, it functions as his his last will and testament. And Paul is writing to Timothy, who is his son in the faith, and, and he had written a letter previously to Timothy just to remind Timothy how important the local church was and that the church is God's house. And, and, and he was writing as to how, how Christians should conduct themselves in God's house. And he's writing this last letter to Timothy basically to encourage Timothy to remain in the word, to stay strong in the word. Timothy had some timidity. He really needed to be in ABF this morning here, Kevin, because Timothy actually had fear of man issues. And, and he struggled at times, just he wasn't Paul. And he struggled at times confronting people or, or, or just shepherding well. And, and so Paul writes this letter. It's like the last thing Paul writes, he says, Timothy, be strong. I need for you to be able to handle God's word well in your church, amongst your people. And so he writes this letter of encouragement and he, and he, he reminds Timothy that, that there, there are some essentials to the gospel that, that we just have to cling to. And then actually in these verses, 14 through 19, there's, there's four imperatives. So when Paul wrote letters, he would, he would use sometimes a particular verb, an imperative, like this is a really important word. And there's four of them contained here, which means there's a lot of commands for us today. And the first one is to remind them of these things, verse 14. Now, now, who are the them? The them is the church, and so that would include you all today. And what is Timothy reminding them of? Well, he's reminding them of the gospel, which if you were listening to the scripture reading, the public reading this morning, if you go back to verse 8 where Paul says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, 
risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, he's basically saying, Timothy, okay, now remind the church and remind the church regularly of the gospel. The gospel that is of Jesus Christ and about Jesus Christ, the gospel that Paul said is my gospel. He had taken full ownership of this gospel. And so now in verse 14, Paul is is saying to Timothy, don't forget to continually remind your people of the gospel and solemnly exhort them in the presence of God not to dispute about words which are useless and will simply lead to the ruin of listeners. So as we are being exhorted to to be responsible to the gospel, at the same time there is this danger of quarreling over useless issues. There's this danger of of, of debating or arguing over non-essential matters. So remind them of the gospel, but you exhort them in God's presence. Don't just simply argue for the sake of arguing about these other matters. These discussions that become useless or futile. There's such danger in the church doing that, splitting hairs over useless squabbles, getting involved in unnecessary debates that only lead to unbiblical division. You may be like me, and, and you like to try to convince people of your opinion. You, you may like to argue. You may just be of that temperament. But folks, there's, there's a difference between defending the truth and defending the gospel than simply winning an argument. And again, sometimes we can mishandle those really important aspects of our faith if we mishandle our tongues. And so the goal, obviously, is not just to beat people up with the Bible. It's not simply just to defeat an opponent who doesn't agree with us. The goal is to speak the truth in love. Now, if you have been in church for any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about. You know how easy it is for useless squabbles to infect a church. As a matter of fact, Paul is going to later say that that the infection can sometimes become cancerous in the church. You know, what style of music should we should we have? What what songs should we sing? What programs should we have? I remember early on at Open Door, this is twenty plus years ago, and and uh, and there was this there was this demand that that Mother's Day be a certain way. Like you, you had to you had to preach about mothers on Mother's Day, and and then you couldn't do anything in the evening of Mother's Day because that was sacred. Like you couldn't like have any evening events or programs because for whatever reason, Jesus would be really disappointed if you didn't worship him on Mother's Day, but you only focused on moms. And I resented that, and I actually was not speaking the truth in love early on. When I basically said to my church, I didn't realize that moms were more important than Jesus here, and uh, that didn't go over very well. Uh, but I, I kind of 
you know, grew out of some of that. And even to this day on Mother's Day, I will honor moms and we'll say how much we love moms and I'll ask all the moms in my congregation a simple question, moms, would you like me to preach about Jesus today? And they all say yes. I say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I just, again, it's a little bit of how you say it. But, but there, there's sometimes there's just some really useless debates that happen in the church. Uh, Pastor Rush, there is another pillar church uh, planter who he had some members in his church who had just recently left a church because during a sermon, I kid you not, during a sermon, one of their elders was talking about the appropriate length of facial hair that was godly. Like there obviously was some length where if it was more than that, it was ungodly. And I know that wasn't you, and that you, you didn't preach that. But this has actually happened. And they said, I don't understand why a church got involved in these useless matters. Well, it can happen. We, we have to remember the gospel, which means you've got to know it. If I were to come to each of you this morning and I say, tell me the gospel, just in a few sentences, tell me the gospel, how comfortable would you feel about saying that to me. And if you only get a couple of sentences to do it, you know what you're going to do? You're going to tell me the essentials. What I need to know as to why God loves me and why Jesus died for me and and the power of the gospel that can save me. You're just going to boil it down to that. You're not going to involve the discussion on a lot of what Paul calls useless words that can only lead to, to my ruin. And so we are to remind ourselves of this gospel. Verse 15, the next imperative is then we are to be diligent to present ourselves approved to God as a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Any Awana people here? Didn't Awana in the past? All right, there you go. Got a little hand. There you go. There's your Awana verse. Approved workmen are not ashamed. And, and, and so Paul's basically saying to Timothy that you have to tell the members of your church that they are to be workmen and they are approved, to God, uh, approved by God, but they have to know how to accurately discern and interpret and then communicate the word of God. To, dis- to, to avoid these destructive debates and useless squabbles that only would lead to the ruin of the church, Paul says to Timothy, let's do something different now with your church. First of all, I want for your people to be desiring God's approval, like above all things. Again, we learned that in ABF today. Ultimately, I want God's approval, not the approval of man, which means I've got to know God and and I've got to know his word. He said earlier to Timothy, he said, Timothy, I need you to be like a hardworking farmer. I need you to to shepherd your people like like a a good soldier with a single-minded devotion to to the Lord. I I need for you to be like a good athlete who always plays according to the rules. And the rule book is the Bible. I need you to be like a hardworking farmer, like here, an approved workman, never ashamed to labor for the gospel. And, And it is 
always that approval by God, not necessarily that approval of, by others or, or to gain the approval of others that we're getting at. So, so literally, what Paul says to Timothy, he goes, now look, Timothy, when it comes to God's word, I need you to do two things. I need you to cut it straight and I need you to communicate it accurately. That's as literal a translation from the Greek as I can give you. He says to Timothy, cut it straight and communicate it well. That's what, he, that's what he means when it comes to the scriptures. But it's not just Timothy, you see. It's every member of the church. If you're a Christian, I need for you to be able to take God's word and cut it straight and communicate it effectively. All of you are responsible to do that. And, and if you do that, then you, you are going to be able to, to share with others the, the, the purity of God's word without perverting it. You're going to be able to, 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 to take the, the fullness of God's word without the feeling like you have to add anything to it. You're never going to take away anything from God's word because you understand all of it is essential, and so you're not going to add to it, not going to take away from it. You're not going to force your own interpretation from it. You're just going to allow the beauty and the purity and the power of God's word to be communicated. It's, it's sort of like a fine steak. Right? If, you, if you, you like a fine steak like me, like the, the worst thing you can do to a fine steak is add too much to it, right? Steak lovers here? Don't add too much to it. But at the same time, don't, don't, don't mess with it. Don't take a lot of stuff away from it. The, the goal is simply to just to prepare that in such a way where it can be savored and enjoyed and consumed. That's the word of God. It is pure, according to David, Psalm 19 and 119. It ministers to your soul. It is perfect. David says. Why would you add to it? Why would you take away anything from it? And so all Paul is encouraging Timothy to do is just to make sure, Timothy, when you take the word of God, cut it straight. Communicate it effectively. I'm reminded of something that Augustine once said, one of the really important church fathers. And, and, and as Augustine was dealing with the same issue, he said to Christians, he goes, when it comes to the scriptures, on the essentials of the scriptures, there must be unity. On the non-essentials of the scriptures, there must be liberality. And in all things, there must be love. Let me say that again. On the essentials of the scriptures, there must be unity. We demand unity on the essentials, the essentials of our faith. On the non-essentials, the secondary matters, the tertiary matters, there must be liberality, which means at times, friends, we can agree to disagree. And in all things, there must be love. Because as Christians, that's what we're known by, right? That that's the only way we can be known as who we are, is by our love, First John. And so, is there time to, to, to debate? Yes, of course, on the essentials. But there's also time to listen. Especially when you're talking with someone that may not agree with you on some of the secondary matters. 
Is there a time to defend our faith at all costs? Absolutely. But there are also times when we just say to a brother or a sister, I love you, let's agree to disagree. The approved workman knows the difference. The approved workman knows this is an essential. We have to have unity. This is a non-essential. Okay, the Bible is not as clear here. Jesus actually, he, he went to the cross according to the scriptures, as Paul said. That was an essential. Jesus, according to Paul, died according to the scriptures. Jesus knew he was obeying scripture when he went to the cross. That's an essential. Jesus was buried and rose again, Paul said, according to the scriptures. Jesus knew he was going to rise again. He, he, He had read the story of Jonah. He knew that. These are the essentials. And then these are the things that we demand union about. Arguing, debating about all these other things can only cause disunity. And, and by the way, if you've done this before, you understand. There's not much profit in this. And especially if you find yourself arguing, debating over someone who, just, who, who doesn't even care to listen. What does the Bible tell us about speaking to foolish people? It says, don't answer a fool according to the fool's folly. Now, how do you become an approved workman? All right, three things. One, you must know the Bible thoroughly. That's number one, right? You must know the Bible thoroughly. Number two, you must be able to communicate the Bible with simplicity. That's number two. Not to communicate it in a way people don't have a clue what you're saying. You're not trying to impress someone with your theological jargon. No, you can communicate the Bible with simplicity. That's the key. And then third, you live out the Bible with humility. You do these three three things, you're on your way to becoming an approved workman. Know the Bible thoroughly. Communicate the Bible with simplicity. And three, live out the Bible with humility. I really want to encourage that last one. Now, now, now this is the thing is, you have pastors here at your church who've committed their life to the study of God's Word. But do you know that these pastors are actually gifts to the church, Ephesians 4.11, and they're gifts to the church to equip you to be approved workmen. They're not, you, don't, you haven't hired your pastors. They're not your hirelings. Like, well, I have a pastor. He can communicate God's word. I have a pastor. He could share the gospel with lost people. No, your pastors are gifts to you to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's Ephesians 4. So that you will grow up in Christ into the full stature, the full maturity of Christ himself so that this church can become a mature man in Christ, able to withstand all of the craziness that comes your way, winds and waves of all these ridiculous doctrines. You're strong enough and mature enough and united enough that you have attained the full stature of Jesus Christ. Your pastors, they they live their lives to equip you for this. To equip you to be approved workmen so that you would know the Bible thoroughly, that you would communicate it with simplicity, so that you would live it out humbly to the glory of God, to the advance of a church. 
Now, historically speaking, friends, this, at times this has gone very well, and at times this has gone very, very badly. Uh, let's go back to the Reformation. And, and, and maybe the one person you think of when you, you think of the Great Reformation was a man by the name of who? Martin who? Luther. Martin Luther. He's the guy. And, 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 and Martin Luther, this Reformed Catholic monk, um, he, he realized that the Catholic Church had gone so far astray that he committed himself to what became the formal principle of the Reformation. If you could tell me what the formal principle of the Reformation of, I will give you like extra credit and you can take out some of your tithe this week. <laughs> Does anybody know what the formal principle of the Reformation is? It starts with a, a Latin word, sola, and then there's another word that starts with an S. Sola Scriptura. You got it. Okay. Okay, yeah, you, you're, you're no tithe week. You got it. No, I'm just kidding. Double it. <laughs> you know, double your tithe. Uh, Sola Scriptura was the formal principle of the Reformation because Luther realized that, that I've got to have the Scripture as my sole authority. I, ca- I can no longer have the teaching of the church as my, uh, my authority or equal authority because there's a difference. There's obviously a difference between teaching the church and the Bible. And so the Bible is my sole authority, which then the material principle of that, like what got, got then taught was justification by faith and not by works. But the, the formal principle is that only Scripture is authoritative. That's the good. That, that, that's, that's the good of the Reformation. But then there's the good, the bad, and the ugly, you see. Because... With this now commitment to the God's word as the sole authority, there were some people following Luther who mishandled it. They mishandled it. They were not approved workmen who knew how to rightly divide God's word. They mishandled it. And as a matter of fact, this was Luther's big concern. And just to be honest, this was the Catholic Church's biggest concern. The Catholic Church for centuries thought if we just give the Bible to the laymen, they're going to just do horrible things with it. Now, that was wrong of them. They obviously didn't understand this passage we're studying today. But if, if you know, but part of their fear was, man, if you just give anybody the scriptures, you give anyone the authority of God's word and say, now, here, here you have it, they could really do damage with it. <laughs> and Luther was very concerned about this. And guess what? People have done real damage with God's word. Protestants thinking that, that, that they now can just simply communicate this and, and they do it wrongly. And that, that's the reason why we've got thousands of denominations and all these different you know, crazy teachings is, is because not only you know, is, is you know, the word of God for us, it is, but you've got to be someone who is an approved workman who knows how to rightly handle it. That's the bad. But then there's the ugly because there were even those in Luther's day. There was a fellow by the name of Thomas Munzer, and he was Luther's disciple, and he was a, a, a Catholic priest, and then he was converted. And, and yet, Munzer, he really wanted to take Luther's principle of the priesthood of all believers, which is wonderful, by the way. It's the reason why we, we all are a part of this, this amazing priesthood, and we can all go directly to God 
through our mediator, Jesus. I mean, it's amazing. And Luther was promoting it, but Munzer was like, yeah, but, but look, there's all kinds of peasants around Germany and, and, and they're all being oppressed. And Luther, you gotta, you gotta tell the nobles that, that these are oppressed peoples and they need to be set free even if it means take up arms. And, 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 and Munzer started listening to these, these prophets and getting these apocalyptic visions and he wanted them to integrate them into the scriptures. And Luther said, please don't. And the result in Luther's lifetime was, was something called the Peasants' War. And in just a matter of hours, 250,000 Germans were killed because of a preacher named Thomas Munzer who decided sola scriptura needed to be combined with his own understanding and it resulted in something that Luther never got over in his lifetime. There's the good and there's the bad and there's the ugly. You see what I'm saying? It's just one thing to say, here's, here's God's word. I love it. I believe it. It's my authority. But, but then, okay, now be responsible for it. Be responsible for it. Become that, that approved workman that, that Christ desires you to be. Now, the second truth is found in verse 16 then through 19 is that we're approved by Christ to be a living testimony of his gospel. So, so the third imperative, right? We've, we've seen that remind, be diligent. The third imperative is in verse 16, avoid. And, and the avoid is avoid worldly and empty chatter because it only leads to further ungodliness. And, and then Paul is going to give an analogy in verse 17. And then in the church, you've got this just, just ungodly, unfortunate, cancerous talk that all it's doing is damaging the church. And, and he says, it, their talk will spread like gangrene. If you know what gangrene is, it's nasty. and It just kills everything it touches. Among them, he says, are Hymenaeus and Philetus, uh, who, men who have gone astray from the truth claiming that the resurrection has already taken place. And, and they're now, now they're jeopardizing the faith of those in the church. So we've got to avoid fruitless discussions. We've got to avoid godless and empty talk. But we also have to be very careful that we don't ever allow cancerous teaching to infect the church cancerous teaching to infect the church because it spreads. Like, let me give you an example. Uh, there's something called the prosperity gospel. Are you familiar with it? Prosperity gospel? All right. If you're not, good. Stay away. If you're familiar with it, it's cancerous. It's a false gospel. It tells you, believe this, claim this, God must do whatever you do by faith, you just have enough faith, and you know your life here, healthy, happy, wise, prosperous, the whole thing. It's just a false bag. But man, when it infects the church, it becomes cancerous. And I can multiply that by a hundred other doctrines that, that are false, that have wreaked havoc upon the church. It has, you know, recently it has for centuries. Well, one of the things that, that um, was happening in the church of Ephesus, because Timothy at this time was pastor at the church of Ephesus, and there was a couple of guys there. One was named Hymenaeus and one was named Philetus. And they were basically saying that the resurrection, there will be no bodily resurrection. 
That was kind of their teaching. There's, there's going to be no bodily resurrection. Now, if you believe in Jesus, then there's a spiritual resurrection. And when you die, there will be this, this spiritual uniting with Christ. But there's not going to be a physical resurrection. They, they didn't believe in that because they felt more like Greek philosophers and agreed with Greek thinking than they did biblical thinking or even Jewish thinking. Because according to the Greek mindset, the body was bad and the spirit was good, right? The body's bad, the spirit's good. And uh, to be quite honest, you probably were raised a bit Gnostic yourself. Because if I ask you the question, what's more important to God, your body or your spirit? You probably, your first thought probably would be, my spirit's more important to God. Just anybody? Just your first thought. Okay. All right. See, that's Gnostic. That's not biblical. You say, what do you mean? I said, to be biblical, you have to believe that my body is just as important to God, my physical body, as my soul or my spirit. Why? Jesus came bodily and he arose bodily. He ascended into heaven bodily and he's going to return bodily to redeem and renew a physical universe. And so your body is just as important as your soul. But in, in the church then, like the church today, they didn't believe that and to, to the point where some were actually teaching in the church that, no, you know, there's going to be no physical return of Jesus and, 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 and then physical resurrection. And people were like, what's happening? And what about my loved ones who've died? And, and, what's all, and it was just shipwrecking the faith of the church. Now, here's what's interesting. What's interesting is Hymenaeus actually, find, this rascal finds himself in Paul's first letter. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul is writing to Timothy and he is going, hey, how are things going in the church, Pastor Timothy? And oh, by the way, did you get rid of Hymenaeus? That rascal who has shipwrecked his faith and leading others to ruin, did you get rid of him? Obviously not, because now in the second letter, Paul's like, Timothy, what? Here he is again? You have not gotten rid of this guy and now he and Philetus are, are teaching doctrine that are like gangrene in the church. Everything this touches is destroyed. Are you kidding me? You're allowing the doctrine of the resurrection to be mishandled in your church? No, absolutely not. No. We will not allow the gospel to, 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 to be diluted or changed in this church. Right? Because Paul understood, like, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then, then if there's no bodily resurrection from the dead, then Christ hasn't been resurrected. And if Christ hasn't been resurrected, then why am I preaching? And as a matter of fact, what's the use of all of this? So the actual importance of the physical body that become intimately attached to the gospel and our hope for a future is an essential doctrine. You say, okay, well, we don't have any problem with that in this church. Well, let me tell you something you're, you're going to have a problem with in this church eventually if you don't become approved workmen. And that is the absolute necessity to declare that the physical body is something that is ordained by God, given by God, and that includes gender. That includes your gender. And, and if you're not able to say, no, we, we only will affirm that our gender is given by God, 
that we have a gender our entire lives. And at the resurrection, by the way, you will forever be the gender that God has assigned you to be. No matter if you changed it or diluted it or whatever you think you've, you've tried to, to annihilate, it doesn't matter. And as a part of knowing the gospel, you would realize that Satan has this great desire and his great desire is to absolutely annihilate the image of God. That's, great. That's Satan's great desire. You have to see what's underlying all of this. Sci- Satan wants to annihilate anything that bears God's image. So, huh, let me annihilate marriage. Oh, I can do better. Let me annihilate gender. Let me just annihilate it. And now, as a church, you're going to go, nope, not here. Not here. This is essential. This is essential. Because why? Someone asked me the other day, why is this so important to you? I said, because of the resurrection. That's why it's essential, because of the resurrection. And I had to help them understand that. Right? No, no resurrection, no hope. And by the way, if you're not, you're not a Christian, I want you to know that if you don't have a really solid, firm belief that there's life after death, that one day your physical body will be somewhere forever and ever, either in an eternal heaven or an eternal hell. If you don't believe that, you're in trouble, you're in danger. If you do believe that and you're not sure which place you're going, I have good news for you. You can know that you'll go to heaven forever through faith in Jesus. And just ask someone in this church, ask one of, one of the members of this church. They'll help you understand that because the members here are going to be approved workmen. Now, nevertheless, right? Verse 19, a lot of danger, but nevertheless, Paul's going to say the firm foundation of God stands having this seal, the Lord knows who are his and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So there's this, this last comment where it's like, okay, if, if you want to be approved more workmen and, and you're going to remind yourself of the gospel and you're going to rightly divide the word of God and you're going to avoid this, this ungodly chatter and you're going to avoid false doctrine in the church, then the last thing is live out holiness, live it out. Not just be a hearer, but, but be a, a doer of the word because the church is God's foundation. And Christ establishes the church. He's the cornerstone. We're built upon him. And, and, and we become now in the new covenant, we become the people of God who know him and, and who name him. And anyone who names the name of the Lord has to abstain, right? Because there's just, there's just a way that God has ordained things to be. There's a way he's ordained the church to be. He's ordained a way for you to be. And if you decide, I'm going to do my own thing, well, now you're in trouble. And, and what's interesting is Paul actually is quoting from a, a, a devastating story in the Old Testament from Numbers 16. When some Levitical priests, who had a really good job, by the way, they were able to serve the tabernacle, right? Right there in the presence of the Lord. These Levitical priests had a great gig. And, and there was a few of them decided, you know what, we're going to do our own thing. And, and this group was led by a fellow named Korah, who was Moses' cousin. Let me tell you a story real quickly. So, uh, you know, Moses, when they constructed the tabernacle, Moses and Aaron could go into the tabernacle. It's called the Tent of Meeting. And they would go into the tabernacle, and the Lord would meet them because the presence of the Lord was seen in the cloud and the fire. So the glory of God was there. And literally, the Lord would speak to Moses, like give him the law, give him instruction. 
tell them what to do. Same thing with Aaron. And so, you know, here's Moses and Aaron. They're going in and out of the tent of meeting. Well, Korah, his job was to take the sacrifices, kill the animals, spread the blood, you know, all the obedience to the law. And they're, they're day after day. They're working in the temple. Well, at some point in time, Korah and his Levitical buddies, other cousins and, and uh, nephews of Moses and Aaron, they're like, you know what? Let's deal with these guys. Why does cousin Aaron get to go in there all the time? Why can't we go in there? You know what? I think, I think this is all a, a, a gimmick. I think they're, they come out of there going, hey, the Lord told me this, so we all have to obey. Who are they? And by the way, this is a miserable place they've led us to. It was better in Egypt. So they, they come, Korah comes to Moses. He's got 250 leaders from Jerusalem. He's got this whole posse, and he says, you know what? We're going in the tent of meeting. You go in there and receive from the Lord, what makes you any better than us? We're going to go in there. Now Moses, he's like, oh, what's happening? Again, I'm not leading well. He appeals to the Lord. And, he, and so Moses says to Korah, okay, how about this? <laughs> Tomorrow, let's all come gather at the tent of meeting. And exactly what Paul says here, the Lord knows who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord, you know, needs to abstain from unholiness. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, you show up, because you gotta, if you go into the tent of meeting, you got to have a sacrifice. you got to have some incense burning. And you, you get your, you know, incense burning in your own censer, and you, you go in. And we'll just see. Everybody goes in, all 250 of y'all. You go in, and we'll find out who the Lord knows who are his. Right? You take, in other words, you take your false doctrine, you want to do it your own way, Go on, you go ahead. And so, literally, Korah shows up. I'm a, I'm a Levitical priest. I can handle this. Got my little urn, a censer. And they all show up on that day. And they're just as they're just about ready to go in, the Lord whispers in Moses' ears. He says, uh, take a step back. <laughs> you just might want to take a step back. And by the way, get the word out. If there's anyone who lives in any of the tent, near any of the tents of any of these people, tell them to just maybe go, you know, take a walk for a while and the Lord swallowed up Korah just opened up the earth and whoosh and then just fire from heaven destroyed the families of the 250 and, and Paul uses this as a reminder the Lord knows whose are his but if you are his if you are his abstain from wickedness know the word that's that fear of the Lord, right, that you guys have been focusing on this summer. And I'm so glad for it. In other words, the Lord knows those who are approved workmen, those who remain loyal to him, and he will reward them greatly. All right, now, this is why you've got to love your Bible. And this is why you have to know how to handle your Bible. It's the most powerful weapon in the world is your Bible. It's not a lump of Play-Doh. You don't just mold it and shape it anything you want it to be. It's not a magic hat where you pull things out of it and say, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. It's not a magic eight ball where you shake it like, God, give me an answer. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible's God's word. It tells us who he is. It tells us who we are. The Bible really is our sole authority. 
And friends, we don't let anything outside of the Bible, we don't allow anything outside of the Bible to interpret what's inside the Bible. We don't allow that. That happens too often. No, we interpret everything outside of the Bible by what's inside of the Bible. Does that make sense? Nothing outside interprets what's inside. But what's inside is what we use to see or to interpret everything else. If society, let me just go back to the, the really important issue of gender that I'm talking about. If society tells us we've got to get past gender norms, we've got to get beyond uh, binary thinking, and, and, and Christians, you just got to get with it. And then you'll even hear some Christians, yeah, I mean, if you're going to reach people these days, and we better, we better re- reconsider how we talk about this, then we go, okay, I'm not going to let anything outside interpret what's inside, but what's inside will interpret what's outside. And so we say, you know what? No, we can't. Why? <laughs> because it would be dangerous for you to accept anything that the Bible calls sin. It would be dangerous for, for us to discredit or to dilute anything. That can only, according to the Bible, that type of thinking can only lead to destruction and chaos, which is happening. And we're just not going to be a part of that. You might have had this conversation. If you haven't, keep talking to people because you'll have this conversation. Hey, I want you to come to my church. I don't do church. Why? Well, I just I'm I'm against organized religion. I'm against organized religion. Okay, so then maybe that stops the conversation. No, absolutely not. Why? Because we don't let anything outside affect how we interact. But do do you know you believe in Jesus? You love Jesus? Yeah. Well, do you know Jesus organized his church? (laughs) Jesus is the one who organized the church. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And and matter of fact, the church is God's house. It's God's family. Every family needs organization. It's really super important. And I would encourage you maybe to rethink that. So that, as an approved workman, this is how we have these conversations. And, and why do we do it? Do it because Jesus did it and he taught us. Remember, Jesus knew what the essentials were. He knew what the essentials were. He didn't debate over the non-essentials. But he demanded the essentials about who he was, about sin, about repentance, about his kingdom. He demanded full obedience to the essentials. Jesus knew when to debate, to argue, but he also knew when to be compassionate. He knew when to listen. He he knew when to confront. He knew when to be quiet. He knew when to be courageous. He knew when to just back away. Just go to Jesus. Look at how he was the ultimate and perfect approved workman who rightly handled the word of God. I know, friends, that if you really attempt to do this and I want you to you're going to make mistakes I've made a ton of blunders in trying to communicate the gospel and trying to share the gospel it's okay don't don't beat yourself up for that the more important thing is do you understand (laughs) you 
are approved by Jesus to be his workmen, to handle his gospel, to do it in a way that will bring him glory and will strengthen and multiply his church. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for this church that loves your word. I know they love your word. I thank you that the elders here love you and love your gospel. I thank you that for nine and a half years the word of God has been taught here. But now, Father, the desire is for every member, every member to realize that, that they are approved workmen as well. And that they would know you, that they would submit to you, that they would humbly live out this word and then be just willing to share it with a lost and dying world. Father, bless this church. Bless its people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.